just for a bit of context of where we are in our church year and what we're looking forward to is Easter is half over. So we've made the turn. We're now focused not as much on the resurrection. Of course, it's Easter, so we are always focused on the resurrection, but we're also looking forward towards the coming of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we find ourselves in this Last Supper discourse in John chapter 15. So we're waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. In addition, being post-Easter, these weeks are meant to unpack for those who just received the sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, and the Eucharist. It's meant to unpack what those mysteries are, the mysteries of those sacraments that have just been received, and a strengthening in the Christian life for those brand new Christians. So these words are words of exhortation for us as well. And finally, what's interesting about the vine imagery used in John chapter 15, there are no parables in John's gospel, not a single one. This is the closest thing that we have to a parable. Jesus, his teaching that he is the vine and we are the branches. So now that we have a bit of context, let's get into what the vine really means. For us, a vine is a vine. It produces grapes. Grapes are used to produce wine, etc., etc. That's about the extent of it. But for a Jewish person, vine imagery was super powerful. It was evocative of a marriage banquet. In addition, Israel was compared to a vine many, many times in the Old Testament. We see this in Ezekiel, Isaiah, some of the Psalms. And they all end the same way. God plants a vine, but the vine does not bear good fruit and instead is open to the wild beasts, to destruction. This vine is destroyed because it did not bear good fruit. So when a Jewish person hears vine imagery, they're thinking immediately of the history of Israel, this unfaithfulness in this destruction, most notably in 587 BC when Jerusalem and the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians because the Israelites were worshiping other gods and did not trust in the Lord their God alone, but turned to these idols. That's a little bit of the history of vine typology in the Old Testament. What's astounding is Jesus identifies himself with the vine. As Benedict XVI Emeritus said, the vine is no longer merely a creature that God looks upon with love, but that he can still uproot and reject, that can be handed over and plundered. Through the Son, God lives in it. This is the first time where God has become incarnate and takes the vine to himself and all the ramifications that go with it. If in the Old Testament infidelity was treated with being open to destruction and plunder, 587 BC when Jerusalem was destroyed, now God has united the vine to himself in this nuptial imagery of the vine with the bride and the bridegroom. God has joined earthly realities to heavenly realities. He's joined humanity to his divinity. The ramification of that is the vine can never be destroyed again. 
It's never going to be plundered. It's always going to survive. It's always going to be present. This is a great consolation in our times. Many have been remarking over the past few weeks and months how difficult the circumstances of the world is right now, the difficult circumstances even in our own church. But remembering that Jesus is the vine, we are joined to him as the branches are joined to the vine, this is a great consolation for us. The church will never be destroyed. The church will always last because the church is Jesus himself the head and we as members of his body. The Old Testament, the ramifications of the vine being destroyed, those have passed away. The new Israel, the church, will never pass away and never be destroyed. In addition, we hear this line from the first letter of St. John. We belong to the truth and reassure our hearts before him in whatever our hearts condemn, for God is greater. Now, these words are very ambiguous. They're open to interpretation. One of the interpretations, because we belong to the truth, our hearts actually condemn us when we sin. It's a conscience thing. Because we have the Holy Spirit, because Christ abides in our hearts, when we sin, our consciences condemn us. But because he is the vine and we are attached to him, we have the opportunity for repentance and actually forgiveness of our sins. That was not true in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you sinned and you were cut off from the people. The people sinned and worshipped idols and Jerusalem was destroyed. But now the first letter of St. John tells us that we have confidence in the Lord for even if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he will forgive us if we abide in the truth. Now, if we don't abide in the truth and our consciences are dead and we don't even know when we sin, then we're in trouble. But for the time being, if we are in the truth and we sin, we simply ask for forgiveness and God grants that to us because the vine and the branches can never be destroyed as long as the branches adhere in the truth. Now, for the topic of pruning. Pruning is exceedingly important. I know that multiple farmers and um, those who were cultivating fruit trees especially were very worried with the below freezing temperatures last week. Now, it's true that when all the blossoms are destroyed, that fruit isn't born that year. But there is an upside to all the fruit for this season being wiped out. All the energy that goes into bearing that fruit instead goes to the growth of the tree. So for all those with really small trees, it's a great thing to take out all the blooms that would become fruit because all the energy that goes into producing that fruit instead goes to building up that tree so that the next season it's even larger and can bear more fruit. This is a great image and a reminder for us there are always difficulties and sufferings and trials in our life. This is an exhortation for us to receive those trials and sufferings as an opportunity to grow. God is only permitting these evil things, these trials and sufferings to happen in order that we may be transformed to grow and bear even more fruit 
down the road. And again, those who are worried about the state of the church or the state of the world, remember, the church will never be destroyed. Christ is the vine. All of the suffering, all of the trials that we endure, all of those things go for the building up of our own holiness and for our fruitfulness. Just a few lines from Scripture that remind us of this. Hebrews chapter 12 says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor lose courage when you are punished by him. For the Lord disciplines him whom he loves and chastises every son he receives. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness in those who have been trained by it. Just two verses from the letter of St. James say almost the same thing. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What's at stake in the midst of this pruning is our own holiness, our righteousness, being made perfect. Every trial, if we allow it, every trial can participate in this pruning that actually makes us holier and bear good fruit. And by our perseverance, we demonstrate we are truly a branch that abides in the vine. Thinking about the process of winemaking, for the grape, it's not a pleasant thing at all. First, it's plucked off the vine, then it's crushed, and then fermented. Those three processes are not fun for the grape. Not that grapes can actually sense, but you know what I mean. For the grape, in all accounts, it's being absolutely destroyed. And yet, through this pruning, this gathering, this plucking, this crushing, and fermenting, it actually becomes something that can one day be used even to be consecrated, to become the body, blood, soul, and divinity himself. But it can't do that unless it undergoes such a painful process. Pope Benedict Emeritus also says this pruning process is a great reminder for when man climbs too high on his own powers, he is brought back to simplicity and poverty. Now, I don't know if you heard in this first reading, it's very interesting. St. Paul, when he just has his conversion and he just begins preaching, listen to this. He spoke and debated with the Hellenists and they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him on his way to Tarsus. The church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria was at peace. That's kind of a slap in the face to St. Paul a little bit. Imagine, he goes out boldly proclaiming Christ, but he riles everyone up so much that the Hellenists try to kill him. Then the fellow Christians say, we're going to send you out to Caesarea, out to Tarsus. We're not going to deal with this. And then Acts of the Apostles says, the church was at peace. Even St. Paul himself underwent some pruning. The greatest missionary the church has ever known, who evangelized the entire known world at the time, was riling up everyone to the point that they wanted to kill him, 
and he was taken from that place, sent away, and that made the church be at peace. This is St. Paul, the greatest, perhaps the greatest evangelist ever. And yet, even he endured a trial from his own brothers where he was sent away because of the way he was preaching. We should have consolation whenever we are part of every sort of trial and persecution and suffering because in that moment it can make us holy and perfect and grow in righteousness. Who knows what effect that this moment had on St. Paul in his preaching to the known world. So the question for us should be what is our response in the midst of trial and persecution? What should we do when these difficult things happen to us? First letter of St. John tells us we have confidence in God and receive from him whatever we ask. Again, we hear in the gospel, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Now, in both of those places, it says, whatever you ask for will be granted. And this isn't a normal petition like, I want to win the lottery, and then everything will be fine. Or, I want to be completely delivered of this affliction. We should pray for healing, yes, but sometimes affliction isn't taken away from us. So what does Jesus mean? What does St. John mean when they say, You will receive whatever you ask, and ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. The context gives us everything. The context of the church year. What are we meant to ask for in these weeks leading up to Pentecost? What is the one thing that should be on our hearts and minds in order to endure these trials and persecutions and sufferings? What is the thing that we should ask? What delivers us? The gift of the Holy Spirit himself. That's the greatest possible thing we can ask for. Imagine all the things in all the universe that you could have, anything you could ask for. And yet, what is the thing that's most powerful, most potent and important? It's God himself. We're told in the readings, not just ask whatever you want, but really, you can even ask for God, infinity itself the power of God dwelling within us. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what's being prompted on our hearts to ask in this time leading up to Pentecost. Lord, send forth the gift of the Spirit so that you may renew the face of the earth. This is our response in adversity and trial and persecution and temptation. We ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we may persevere in these trials are pruning, not separation of the branches from the vine. The ball's in our court. If we allow this pruning to take place and we respond with faith, asking for the gift of the Holy Spirit, God will give us this gift and will finally bear even more fruit. But if we do not respond with faith, if we allow this adversity to cut us off from the vine and we no longer live in the truth, then we're cast into the fire and burned. My brothers and sisters, this opportunity for the gift of the Holy Spirit is again extended to us.
So may we say with the church in all the centuries that it's ever existed, Lord, send forth your spirit and renew the face of the earth.